0: It is a dimension as vast as space, and as timeless as infinity. Adam Radko and Becky DeAnna will enter a podcast from another dimension. Some might find it to be a dimension of imagination. It is an area in which we call the film universe. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Film Universe. I'm your host Ian Vega and joining me are two special guests one of them is returning to the show and the other is new to the show I would like to um, welcome both Adam Rackoff and Becky Diana great to have both of you here on the show
1: Thanks for having us yeah
0: yeah
2: thanks for having me back yeah
0: um yeah I'm really happy to have both of you like together on the show because like I've been trying to get... Uh, like more people on the show and i'm like i should get i mean these guys are really cool so i wanted to get <laughs> both of them um, we don't associate so ourselves <laughs> with coolness
1: but thanks
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i think no, this, so if you say yeah, so yeah i think adam yeah. and
1: i the last podcast we've been on together was a twilight zone episode huh in october for wrong room yeah,
2: that, yeah. Oh, so wrong now it's like all yeah. we
1: talk about is twilight zone
2: <laughs> yeah, because... We can't help ourselves. Yeah,
0: that's actually how I met uh, Becky, because there was an episode of James's podcast, and I wanted to see it because it was like Twilight Zone. And before that episode, like, I didn't have no knowledge of the Twilight Zone. I, I had references here and there, but, like, um, that episode actually got me into the show. So it was just, like, when I was uh, listening to the podcast... I remember I sent Becky a message because she you mentioned a book about the Twilight Zone and I I actually uh, recently got it, so that's how I got it. I've actually met Adam through <laughs> Twitter because um, he was posting an event for Bill Clinton for his uh, for the SVA Theater mm-hmm. for Rengeance which will be um, a topic me and Adam will one day cover on the show. But yeah, I'm happy to have both of you here. You're like the two of you are like the most hardcore twilight zone fans i've ever met like (laughs) like i got into the show because of the two of you and the show is like so long but it's like so good because there's so many episodes per per season yeah and i was like i gotta see the movie and i was actually surprised about the movie not because it was like short it was like an hour and 45 minutes but like to think, like, okay, the Twilight Zone is about, like, multi-stories. And the fact that they would even pitch the idea of having a movie was really great. So, before watching, I was like, okay, is it going to focus on one story? Or is it going to be multiple? Mm-hmm. I mean, thankfully, it was multiple, but it was really good, actually. So, yeah. So, what what did you two think of the movie? or Like, how did you... First of all, let's talk about, like, how did both of you get into the Twilight Zone? Like what, what got, what made you be like, you know what? Yeah, I should, should watch this show.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I saw, it's funny. I saw the movie before I saw, I got into the TV series, I believe. Cause I saw the movie when I was six years old, um, wow. opening night at the national theater in Westwood, um, because my parents didn't really hire babysitters when I was a kid they just pretty much took me to whatever they were doing and they just were movie junkies so they just took me to all their movies that they went and saw so they took me uh took my sister and i to to a bunch of films so i saw probably a lot of movies earlier than i should have but i think i turned out okay so i'm a big fan of not censoring (laughs) what kids see although we'll see if that's really the case with my daughter with my own daughter who's four um but yeah i saw it opening night um when i was six years old and the opening prologue which we can get into um with albert brooks and dan Aykroyd, when he says want to see something really scary i i I freaked out and i put my hands over my eyes and i didn't know what i was gonna (laughs) see and i think only later i actually saw what happened because i think i maybe i saw it on home video later but i think a few years later um my we there's just every uh thanksgiving in california there was a uh, marathon of twilight Zone episodes and so just, I just i would always watch a marathon with my family and then they always had reruns on tv and so i just got hooked my father's a huge science fiction fan so i've been watching them since i was probably seven or eight um just my yeah. whole life and um and Adam and I had, were, had talked before, but we were fans. And when we did the Wrong real episode, uh, Jamie hadn't seen any. Um, he had only seen like a handful at, up to that point. Really? So, so he it was sort of fun for him to like we Adam and I like picked our our each our top five episodes so that just to give him a basis of ten to watch, and then yeah. um, and then also recommended others. And it was just fun to take a deep dive. And um, I don't I, I'm sure there are a lot more people out there who are way hard more hardcore Twilight Zone fans than. Than, than me. or They're in the Twilight um, Zone right now. Yeah. <laughs> but I, uh, I've i just been a fan since I was a kid. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, wow.
2: Yes, uh, same here. I was, uh, instead of Thanksgiving, for us, it was a New, York, New Year's Eve tradition to watch. Uh, it was WPIX Channel 11 uh, that was broadcasting out of New York that would show um 24 hours non-stop Twilight Zone episodes <laughs> nice. this was in the kind of late late 80s early 90s and i would you know stay up as late as i could uh usually we would be visiting with some family friends so my friend who uh, was my age uh would usually sleep in my room yeah. and we would just kind of stay up all night we had i had a little tiny i don't know it was probably like a 4 inch portable television Black and white that I had in my room growing up, that we would, you know, had a little uh, antenna that would stick up. And uh, I would sit watching these old black and white Twilight Zone episodes on this little tiny portable television until 3, 4 in the morning until we would fall asleep. <laughs> That's, That's and, dedication uh, right there. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I was probably 11, 12, 13 or something in that time. That was probably the age range where I, I first started. Discovering them, but obviously, even with twenty four hours nonstop that's only a fraction of the total episodes that would that were that were produced and yeah. aired back in the sixties. These were just sort of the, the the most popular or most famous episodes so in a way, it was nice because I was getting to see the cream of the crop I was getting to see the ones that had sort of withstood the test of time uh, but obviously, as I got older, I would go back and revisit more of the, uh, episodes, the lesser known episodes. Um, and, uh, for the film, the Twilight Zone movie, which was released in 1983, I actually didn't see this until it aired on television as well. Probably around the same time, the early nineties, I would say once I saw the, uh, some of the, the episodes on these New Year's Eve marathons, I, I discovered the film. Uh, so for me, I actually had, Already seen, and in essence, I had already seen three of the segments from the movie because three of those of the segments from the film, from the Twilight Zone movie, were based upon, or re- were essentially reimaginings of a classic episode. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, in that sense, it kind of it it surprised me because like, I sort of said to myself, I, "What? Wait, I've seen this. I know how this ends." Yeah. And that was kind of frustrating you know, in a sense because I didn't know that's what it was. Obviously later in life I understood that these were sort of these genre directors attempting to sort of put their spin on a classic episode but um, at the time I, I felt a little let down because I was hoping for for original, new original stories to be told. Yeah. Um, this again this is when I was uh, you know maybe 13 years mm-hmm. old. Um, but since then I've revisited the film and the series many times as I did again last night. I rewatched the film, and I have a different appreciation for it now than I did originally. Um, some things I still feel work really well, and other things I think really uh, don't don't hold up quite as well yeah. as I as I um, wish they you know they they mm-hmm. did. But um, yeah, it's it's one of those movies though that at least because it's a anthology film, it's made up of essentially four well really six segments if you count the prologue and epilogue there's yeah. really six kind of distinct uh, segments to the film um, but I think that was sort of a, an interesting choice that they basically chose to make one the first segment is the only original segment the only new story mm-hmm. and then the, the the three subsequent segments are all sort of remakes of, of classic episodes mm-hmm. and uh, I always wondered what the thought process was there because I think a lot of people who were fans of the Twilight Zone would have loved to have seen, you know, an original story by Steven Spielberg. You know, yeah. what would his Twilight Zone, you know, uh, episode be that he had in his head, or or you know, what would you know uh, Joe Dante come up with if he had a chance to write and direct his own episode? So that's just something that I'm sure we'll get into more. But I just think it's interesting that they chose to predominantly recreate episodes. And again, they're very different in, in many respects. Mm-hmm. The uh, the episodes that were remade, I think, are unique visions. But in the end, they both they they essentially have the same twist yeah. uh, to the original episode.
1: Yeah, and I think there was talk at some so. point about having the um, some of the actors. Sorry, if you can hear that beep, I'm really sorry. (laughs) I don't know if you can hear it or not, but my uh, fire alarm uh, battery went out last night and it was like I was in the Twilight Zone and we fixed (sighs) it and um now apparently another fire alarm uh battery is out and i am not tall enough to fix it so i'm really sorry if you hear periodic beeps. Oh no,
0: i i'm the same way a... too i have to like get a chair to like take it down
1: yeah i like... don't i'm like i can't believe this is happening right now so i apologize but um
2: <laughs> there's a I, and i don't even know how <laughs> that... it was ear
1: piercing last night so i can't really hear it i'm hopefully it's not ruining your podcast um but we can oh, just no, make it funny. atmospheric um But uh, yeah, yeah, I think they had originally had talked about maybe having some actors like be in the same um, set, the different segments or just carrying along some sort of thematic throughout, throughout all of them. Um, But I think they decided to do these four separate stories. What I think is interesting is the first story, which is the original story. I mean, if we're not counting the prologue, I feel like now I feel like if it was shot if this film because of the helicopter accident and because of um, the uh, deaths that happened in the in the. Um, in the beginning, um, because of the, I, I just feel like in this time, I feel like they may not have even showed that footage. I mean, not the footage where there's actually people die, but I just feel like maybe they would have shot a different story. I don't know if that's true or not. If they would, um...
0: I've never even heard of. Oh, it. you no.
1: haven't? Oh,
0: like that story? No. Yeah. I, I...
1: So uh, I mean I don't know how to do. Should we talk about this, Adam?
0: Yeah, yeah. Go I ahead. mean,
2: yeah. It's it's pretty relevant, yeah. I think, to the the kind of in a way. It's 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 the first of two really tragic events that occurred surrounding Steven Spielberg produced movies in the early '90s. This was the first, and then of course Poltergeist had. Oh yeah, you know, Poltergeist. The tragic was the death of. One. Uh, so anyway, but yeah, Becky, if you wanna share <laughs> um, yeah, the, yeah so, go ahead mean, well,
1: essentially so like the story of the the film is um it's sort of it's called um the bigot well it was actually it was it's time out but originally it was titled the bigot they they uh renamed it time out but um the they john landis directed it and it's essentially about a man who is um he's he starts off going he 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 got uh Missed out on a promotion because somebody who was actually more experienced, you find out, got this promotion. But he was Jewish, so he goes to see his friends oh, in a yeah. bar, and he's just really very racist. And um, some African Americans yeah. overhear him, and he's just so he ends up getting just um, walking out of the bar, and then um, and then he's into and then um, he's in occupied France, um, and there there are Nazis there, and so he expo- he's he's ended up being exposed to several um, racist area. Uh, yeah. in our in the history of the country so Nazis, yeah. Nazis um over Alabama K-K-K-K. over the Ku Klux Klan yeah and so originally um that well the, how the segment ends is he gets on a train and mm-hmm. um being sent off to concentration camps and then he looks out the window and he sees his friends coming out of the bar in in the 50s or, or in the time that this was taking place not in the 50s I'm not sure when this when yeah, this, it this set. Like it was during the 80s, 80s probably like, yeah. yeah so um, that's sort of how it ends but originally how it ends is he gets redeemed and he in Vietnam he saves these two Vietnamese children and um, who are being held captive and he says yeah. don't worry nothing is going to happen to you and he takes these kids and and he flees with them um but um a helicopter um there was just a there's a lot of issues what happened but these pyrotechnics went off and because um, there was explosions it was like a war um scene and um the helicopter got i think something happened with the fireball and maybe adam knows better but the the um helicopter blade um ended up killing uh, falling and crushing the um the main actor um oh shit. yeah <laughs> yeah vic morrow yeah, not- which i don't know why i'm just slapped, but it was just out of just horrificness uh, so vic morrow the main it- character died at um filming this scene and the two beaten, um two children who um uh, who were in the film, and the helicopter crushed them, and and and, forged, and he and the little boy were decapitated, and the little girl was crushed by the wow. helicopter. So there was all these. Um, they were they were brought to court, and uh, they were charged with like uh, manslaughter or whatever. And uh, but it all came. It, I think that they, in the end, nobody got tried for it. But it was just a really horrific thing. And then they, so they ended up just not shooting. I mean, obviously, they took that part of the story out of it. Yeah. uh but um Adam do you want to provide more color any more color
2: uh I, I I mean the only thing I would add is that they they had three cameras filming this scene because it was a big yeah. you know set piece with all of these as Becky mentioned pyrotechnics explosions of this village with the actors kind of running uh out of the uh out of the village as it was getting destroyed and uh they had three cameras shooting it so three different angles they have of these of these poor children and this actor getting killed. That's it's horrible. on film, all of it, but it's never been seen, yeah. obviously, um, because it's, A, gruesome, but also because you know no, they don't want that getting out, obviously. Yeah. So they essentially, as Becky said, had to kind of rewrite the ending at the last minute, yeah. change it up. It obviously was devastating, not just for those involved, but for, you know... Uh, the, the, the family members mm-hmm. and everybody yeah. it, I think John Landis I think it really was very difficult for him I, it, it didn't even go to trial until I think 1987 so that's how many yeah. years he was yeah. dealing with this and kind of not knowing kind of having the uncertainty of like what happened the other big thing that ha- that, that the other I guess sort of controversial issue was that the two small children were there mm-hmm. illegally uh, at the time and I think still today you can't have child actors working at, night. at nighttime without and and even even if they were I think they ha- they would have to have supervision from like a tutor and from some side of some sort type of caregiver yeah, and so department. that was one issue yeah. they were they weren't allowed to be working then and they lied about that and they lied to the fire marshal I believe about the, the the type of danger that the actors would be in so there was a lot of sort of weird issues that ultimately John Landis had to take responsibility for as the as the director but as Becky said, I don't think anyone actually ended up going to prison or getting any kind of um, uh, any kind of conviction. It was deemed that was just a horrible accident. Yeah. Yes, things, mistakes were made. Yes, people should have communicated better. Yes, they uh, they broke some some SAG rules, but in the end, it didn't cause the accident. It was just a tragic accident, yeah. and uh, things like this do happen from time to time on sets and uh, they do everything possible to to prevent them, but sometimes things are beyond their control. I think the main issue might have been winds at the time, winds and the, the helicopter was hovering too low to where the explosions were going, mm-hmm. and they weren't communicating properly, so they set off two explosions at once, which sort of ignited a fireball mm-hmm. and caused one of the ro- rotors to sort of uh, uh, get damaged, and which then caused it to crash sort of crash of them, down yeah. into... The, the actors, yeah, it's just a crazy, crazy through.
1: story, but I mean, what yeah. the one good thing that came out of it was that the, with the, there's just been all these safety laws and um, uh, come out of filming on the set now and there's people who are actually there and and it, uh to make sure that that uh, there's the safety is as best as it could be um there's people yeah. whose whole job is it to be on a set and make sure uh, everyone's following the right protocols and there are still accidents on sets um, that still happen today but um things are a lot tougher than they ever were because of that and i think the parents of the kids um they did settle out of court for like an undisclosed amount for um for what happened to their kids. It's just really, really tragic, but I feel like if it happened now, they probably wouldn't even, I feel like they would've just filmed a different segment of that story and not shown part Ooh, of it. Yeah, but I don't know, would. maybe they wouldn't.
0: They, um, Yeah, it's actually very unfortunate that accidents do happen in films. I think the most recent one happened when they were um, creating the sequel for the new Deadpool movie. One of the actors had a was in a motorcycle accident and caused him to, he crashed into a building that they were gonna shoot on, from what I've heard, and it just caused them to die, which was very unfortunate. But wow. it it does happen sometimes, and now it's just more strict because, and it's actually good that you know the film industry has more strictness to like making sure that everyone's safe, which is good because back then, I, I, it would happen a lot. But it's actually really good, and I was not even aware that that incident happened during the first. Like story that we see in the Twilight Zone, besides yeah, and they changed the
1: ending uh, because of it. Um, Yeah, but uh but yeah, and it's all
2: which I don't. Yeah. Oh no no, I I was gonna say I don't think it really would have improved that segment that much. Mm. That he would have been redeemed or not. Yeah. I think ultimately it's a pretty predictable segment. Like you, as soon as you see that he's a racist and a bigot, and that he is transported these other places, I feel like, yep, yeah, I, I get it. You know, he's getting yeah. a taste of his own medicine. Crazy, he's going to... Yeah crazy thing about uh, it
0: is that it's funny that you mentioned it because when I was first watching the movie, I'm like, okay, we have a racist asshole in a bar. And um, as soon as he, like, uh, went to, like, um, par- um Occupy France? Not, yes, thank you. Um, he was being, like, you know, tossed aside by, like, Nazis. And I'm thinking, okay, the next one has to be KKK, again. And it happened... And Throughout the whole story. I'm thinking okay. He's being he started off as a racist asshole, right? But there's gonna and he's gonna be redeemed for something And it's funny that you mentioned that because the original ending was supposed to be for him to be redeemed But it had this feel this type of pattern really throughout the segment of like it's him facing his own medicine Having a taste of his own medicine of like okay, you're gonna be a racist asshole so we're gonna throw you into like these time, these segments where these events unfortunately happen to this certain group of people. So, it it was it was giving me a feel like okay, this is a redemption story, but the ending was actually a good twist for me personally because it made sense for him to like go on a train headed to head into the concentration camp where his friends don't see him and he's screaming, he's crying, he's got blood in his hands because he got shot. Yeah. But. It was um. It made sense, and then I had to pause the movie and I had to think about it. Of like, what would have happened if he tried to have redeemed himself? Like, I thought, okay, is he gonna go inside the bar and to so the people who heard him being racist? Like, is he gonna apologize or anything? But no, he just go, goes to the train and that's it. While it rains, so really, it it's actually surprising that the original ending was supposed to have, um was for him to be redeemed. And since they cut it off due to the tragic incident, they went for this one where he doesn't get redeemed and he's just sent to the uh, concentration camp. So it's kind of funny that my own I, my own thought of like, this is a redemption story was actually supposed to be the original ending for it. Yeah.
1: It's a, it was an was effective it? ending yeah. though. You're right. The, the, him going off, it was, it was definitely dark ending of him going and seeing his friends and not being able to, to say anything to them. It, it worked in the Twilight Zone. Um, no. Yeah. In, in
2: ma- yeah. And in many respects, I find, I found that that uh, this this ending, the act, the ending that was released, is a little more in, you know, in sync with the tone of the original series, yeah. where a character would it would have a dark Mm -hmm. ending. It would have sort of like he's forced to live the rest of his life in a concentration camp, you know, because of the the way, the error of his ways. Whereas the redemption story, although it has a nice, happier ending, uh, that wasn't always the case with the, the episodes. Oftentimes, the endings had a, had a twist, but it was usually a dark twist. Yeah, I
1: think a, a lot of my um, favorite episodes are the have the dark twists at the end. So yeah. Yeah, I
2: agree. Yeah, yeah. So, gonna, what that's the best
0: thing about it, and a lot of filmmakers will probably agree on this: that having a twist ending is so good to have in a film because a lot of people, the audience, would assume that these events are going to happen, but then when you take like a left turn while you're pointing all the way to the to go straight, it's just like it blows everyone off so twist endings are actually good and one of the twist endings that just came to my mind was an episode of twilight zone where we have the story of the woman going to the mall and then realizing that she's a mannequin. oh i
1: love that one which
0: yeah (laughs) that one was that one caught me off guard and actually i remember when first watching the show i would message becky i'm like i got these amount of episodes right because for me I've always liked to be like predictable on it. Like, okay, let's see if I get this right or if it's wrong. So I don't I'm just that way really. But um yeah, that twist ending for the film though was actually really good. Like it's great. Yeah, um, it's interesting
1: how the main the yeah, you know, the main character in that story, I mean it dries so tragically. It's really sad. He's actually, uh, interestingly enough, he's Jennifer Jason Lee's father. Really? Which I, I I never really knew until I did some research on this ep- for this episode. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. But they were estranged. I think she was about 20 when this happened, and he was 53. Mm-hmm. So, but they weren't. I mean, he wasn't. She didn't really grow up like him raising her. But it's still it's really yeah. sad still.
0: Yeah. Let me ask the both of you. What did you think of the opening of the film where we have the two people driving in your car and they're just blasting music together? I was laughing so hard because of that because it reminded me of a friend who i was in his car one day uh, we were just we were heading somewhere in new york um i don't remember it was like years ago and he's just like blasting his music and it's a song that me and him knew so much so it kind of reminded me of that moment really Aww
1: yeah I, the uh, the opening i absolutely love the opening i think that opening might be my favorite of all the segments in the film and it's so short just <laughs> yeah. also because i'm biased a little albert brooks is like my favorite actor um ever he he's, he's one of my favorite directors but he's my favorite actor and um yeah. i just adore him and so and then he's so funny with dan Aykroyd, and i love when they're singing to the uh you know, CCR and it's just, it's yeah, it, it's just a great little scene. And also because it just, I, like I said, I still vividly remember being six and he said, want to see something really scary. And it is pretty creepy, but I, I literally didn't see what he saw until later because I was so scared when I was six years old. <laughs> I covered my eyes. So, um, and I also yeah. like how they talk about twilight zones and like their favorite episodes. And yeah, that
0: was weird. Yeah. It was so weird. Cause it's like, Oh, it's almost like, um, when some films or TV shows, they're like, oh like they they say anything really and they're like oh this reminds me of the of the episode of this while they're in the show and for a show to be like all like dark twisted and but also like and the endings all fl- like basically fuck you over it's just like it's kind of breaking the fourth wall really so it's just like because when they mentioned twilight so i'm like am I, am I watching the right movie <laughs> I was like, did I just put in like some like any '80s movie that just mentioned Twilight Zone? I would, and it actually that's the beginning segment. It took me a while to realize, okay, now I'm watching a Twilight Zone movie because we have the the part what the ending of the segment. Where he's like, hey, you want to see something really scary? So I'm just like, oh yeah, this is Twilight Zone, <laughs> and it's I don't want to take a shot on the the makeup department, but like seeing where he turns and you see like this. Almost a like werewolf type of creature. I didn't think of it as like a werewolf for some reason. I thought it was like Beast Man from like X Men. I don't know why really, because it based on the lighting was like very blue, so it's just like, did he just get attacked by Beast Man from X Men?
1: <laughs> I didn't really saw it as a werewolf. I was just thought it was like a weird creature, but I, I don't know. Yeah. What, did yeah. it, what did you think of it, Adam?
0: Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. I love the opening. I'm actually uh, uh, like you, a-, a huge fan of of this if you know this prologue it, it just to me it speaks to so many people who've ever been on a a road trip or a late night drive where you're alone on a dark road and you're just trying to kill the time yeah. telling stories and trying to think of something to, to talk about. I always wondered if these two knew each other or if he was a hitchhiker. It sort of seems like... Oh, I never like thought
1: of it that they didn't know each other. That's a really cool way to think yeah, about that it. Maybe,
2: yeah, they even, in, the, in the credits they're referred to as the driver yeah. and the passenger. So that, I, it, yeah. it's not, it, it isn't clear. Um, but it also doesn't seem like at times that they really know each other that well. Yeah. So it made me kind of think about the backstory a little bit. But I think that it's, it's super strong because... It, it just resonates with all of us. We it, they it has that sort of meta uh, feel to it because it is self-referential, and it talks about the outer. I love the moment when they talk about you know oh that, that that's an outer <laughs> limit no that's uh, a zone yeah. and it, it's a great that's a great debate that a lot of people have <laughs> right. too because you don't always remember growing up what they were watching yeah. Yeah. <laughs> especially if it, if it was late at night you know they were, they were watching an episode and. They they were very similar shows in a lot of respects, mm-hmm. so it, it, it can be easy to get ideas from one confused with the other. But um, yeah, it's it's a great it's a great segment. It's funny. It's it, it obviously has that nice little scary twist at the end. The, my only critic, criticism of it is I I wanted more. I, mm-hmm. I felt that this could have been um, an even stronger piece yeah. if it wasn't a, a, a prologue, but if it was in fact a whole twenty or twenty five minute You know, road trip segment because uh, to me there was a lot to work with Mm -hmm. there um, that could have you know it could have had multiple layers to it. It it was very effective for what it was at kind of setting the tone Mm -hmm. for what was to come. Yeah, but um, but I also feel like it's um, (laughs) unfortunately it kind of the the movie in my opinion starts strong with that opening. And it ends strong with uh, with the, the, the final segment, yeah. but um, uh, not not the epilogue, but the actual final film with John Lithgow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, to me, the middle section has varying degrees of of, of uh, quality. It just it, feel, it I've always felt that it's a little bit of a um, uh, unbalanced set mm-hmm. of of stories that they don't they don't flow together as well as I think they probably could have. Uh, from one to the next. Uh, I think one critic even said that it's like an old vaudeville act where it it builds in quality as you go along until you have your final, you know, showstopper at the very end to kind of uh, to, to to end the program. And in in a lot of respects, I kind of agree with that. You know, it's mm-hmm. uh, it it definitely has this progression um, that kind of builds up to the, to the finale, which. Um, you know, aside from the opening, I do think that the final the final segment is probably the strongest. But we'll talk more about that as yeah. we get as we get just to uh just the idea the of, of like the, the opening.
0: Like I I'll agree, like it was very short and they could've actually ad- like put more to it and they would have like if I was directing the opening, what I would have done is that I would have had like the narrator who you always see in like Twilight Zone, like the one who who basically like, oh, welcome to the Twilight Zone like have him be like the hitchhiker because the idea of him being like the hitchhiker like you mentioned adam that i didn't even think of actually because when they send the credits um driver and passenger i didn't even think this guy could have been like a hitchhiker or they don't really know each other that much so
1: it seemed like they had this such um, a natural rapport i think that's why i just assume they were buddies
0: yeah, yeah i yeah. thought they were friends too like pals or like people who work together but just good friends and the way how they um i think that's mostly like how they communicate with each other based on, like, what they say to each other and, like, they're screaming together in songs and also trying to give each other, like, pop quizzes of, like, oh, what's this intro song to this show, really, so... Also, yeah, one thing
1: is when he turns the lights off and he's like, oh, and, and just drives without seeing anything. I don't I feel like if that was a stranger, I don't know if he would have done that to a stranger or if I was the stranger. I, would, I mean, that it was like the passenger oh. and I didn't know yeah. this driver, I would be freaking out. Like, this is not <laughs> yeah. not a, I'm like, I feel like something you would more do with somebody that you're friends with um you know put their life at risk but like in a funny way with the lights off maybe not so like a hitchhiker but again I mean who knows how long they know I I like thinking that maybe they don't know each other it's a fun twist that I never thought of before
0: The think about it well
2: and the reason the reason why I, I thought well there's a few little moments which I didn't really uh I can't cite them all off the top of my head there's a few little moments that just kind of got gave me this feeling that it's like they maybe been in the car together for a day mm-hmm. or so. So they started to get to know each other, but they weren't like really close. Yeah. But then also the whole idea that well, it would make sense if he's really a monster yeah. that he picked them up on the side of the road, you know, <laughs> the earlier in the day and they they've been having a nice time getting to know each other, singing songs, playing games like, "Hey, you ever played this game before?" Yeah. <laughs> like if you if you knew someone really well, you probably wouldn't you probably would know yeah. if they played right. that game before, you know. So it kind of made me. You're think, blowing my perhaps, mind, Adam. Yeah. So perhaps this this really was a monster all along. Like would his friend that he knew for twenty right. years really? The kid be he's playing with when he's growing up. Yeah, man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so that was just my uh my interpretation. But but that's what's great about movies is that everyone kind of, you know. Can, uh pull something uh, unique out of uh, a story. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, what's you know, interesting also own.
1: about that, uh, with that theory is the end when he is a ambulance driver. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's what he does. He goes through and like enters like, oh, now right. I'm an ambulance driver. And then before, maybe I was this hitchhiker. Yeah, he's just, just that's what he goes through life doing. He's, the right. Twilight Zone. He's
2: just, yeah. With that like, different identity.
1: He could
0: be, he could be like, yeah, he could be like, um. The narrator who like introduces the show maybe that's like a new version of him really like a new look like some Doctor Who
2: type of style way. Oh um, no! yeah. Well, speaking speaking of the of the narrator, of course Rod yeah. Serling, who is the creator of the show, the show's creator, he wrote many episodes and he is the the original narrator host of the show. He of course died um, very young, nineteen seventy five, before this movie was was even uh uh you know being thought about but um the they were fortunate enough to get burgess meredith to do the opening narration yeah it's uh, an iconic yeah yeah And, and he of course starred in four uh episodes of the twilight zone including the classic episode time enough at last uh, where he breaks his glasses, so, oh, and he also does the openings for each individual segment. So he basically Burgess Meredith takes on the Rod Serling mm-hmm. role, mm-hmm. which I thought was an interesting choice. And uh, he, of course, being quite old himself, uh, by the time. Uh, this movie was produced, yeah. so I, it was a nice, a nice decision, a nice reference back to the original episodes. Yeah, paying episodes homage that to the original, in. right? And you know, and so person created it
1: in the title sequence um, with the door and everything in the reflection of the eye. I think it is you see Rod Serling's face. If you freeze it, you can see him um a picture of him oh. in the title sequence I didn't yeah notice that. i gotta check oh,
0: that a, back out yeah it's kind of cool
1: uh, <laughs> it's uh it's just in the title sequence and then, there are it's funny there are a lot of um there's several people that are writers and like Richard Matheson came back, George Clayton Jerry Goldsmith came back as a composer people from like the original and then there's a handful of cast members um, that were in original Twilight Zone episodes that were in uh, some of the segments. A majority of them are actually in the um, It's a Good Life uh, segment Um, so that are from old um, Twilight Zone episodes but I, I thought that was interesting that they did try to cast some people from the original series. It's cool.
0: It's basically yeah. a Twilight
2: Zone family reunion <laughs> in a nutshell. Uh, and they did uh, just to sort of come full circle. They did as a nice homage to Rod Serling, mm-hmm. play the original uh, audio opening yeah. at the very end of the mm-hmm. film. It's and actually it's the opening. That that opening actually changed every season uh, very slightly, but they they played the the original season one audio of Rod Serling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, doing his his Twilight Zone intro yeah. at the very end of the film. So there were some nice little moments like that. That, that were that, uh, and I believe his wife also was a creative consultant on the film, um, who was still oh, alive yeah, I think in so. 1983. Uh-huh. So so they had wow. her, had, and I'm sure she, you know, living with Mr. Serling all those years had plenty of insight into <laughs> what Rod liked and didn't like, yeah. and so hopefully she was able to sort of lend. Uh, some creative input, uh, you know, because I think it's always hard after a creator of a show dies, whether it's Gene Roddenberry with Star Star Trek or or Rod Serling with Twilight Zone. It's always hard to Capture sort of pick it. up the torch yeah. and you know and carry on and but all and do it in an original way, but also do it in a way that feels like you're respecting the source material as much as possible. Yeah, that's it's that's always a huge responsibility that,
0: actually, and it like now it's much harder because. People will point out uh, creative differences of like um, from the past to like this new person who pick up the torch like you said and try to in a way um, like try to bring out the uh, the tradition of the original but also like adding some new things to it to give this to give it an identity of like a new version of it which is it's hard really and it happens to a lot of people in the film industry Um, regardless of film, TV show, anybody. Because you want to capture it and unfortunately people would do like a comparison of like you're not this person or you'll never be this type of person because this person had this different level of imagination that you can't reach up for. So it's it's a really hard thing to actually do. Especially when it's based on a a show or a movie that is so iconic or has a huge fan base Mm -hmm. and following that even today like People in the year twenty eighteen, like us, are talking about it. Really, that came out years ago, actually. And um, I mean, it's no, it's no secret that I wasn't alive or born when the show was first made. But still, um, it's to this day it gets more it gets more followers, and it, it's a huge risk. really. Well, Adam and I weren't
1: alive it's- when it was. <laughs> <laughs> I would have premiered either. We're <laughs> not that old.
2: When the, We were alive when the movie came out. <laughs> we were alive. This film, but not the show. <laughs> we yeah. were alive
1: when the movie came out, yes.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I did not go to see it in the theater, though. I was probably five years old, so I my parents probably wouldn't have taken... My parents didn't take us to the movies that often. Um, un- unfortunately, I, I discovered film a little bit later because it was something that I sort of had a passion for. Mm. Um, I kind of developed on my own this passion for film and uh, would start to to go to as many films as I could. But most of my film going, really, when I was a kid was first and foremost on broadcast television. It was sort of what was being shown was what I was experiencing for the first time. And then, of course, when we got our first VCR, I I would start renting every movie I could rent. (laughs) That was, you know, PG (laughs) or PG-13. And... uh, but um one thing that's interesting that I just realized is that June twenty fourth of this year, just a few months from now, is actually the thirty fifth anniversary of Twilight Zone. Oh, wow. So wow. this is sort of a thirty. You should just like not episode. release this
1: episode until June twenty fourth. I know. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's just
0: right in my mind, Greg. just got that's me right, right in my mind. Just thinking that. <laughs> um but no, yeah, that's wow, that's actually amazing. I didn't even know it was going to be the thirtieth anniversary. 35th. Oh, 35th. So, Shit. Yeah. <laughs> even, um, even, yeah, so you can figure out my farther. age based
1: on what I said earlier in the episode. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, mean, I have no qualms uh, about how old I am.
0: Uh, I mean, I, I just <laughs> turned 21, so really, I'm just too young for it, really. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, Adam, I'm... Yeah, I feel you, man, because for me, in the, when getting into the film industry, like, one film got me into it, which was the 1954 uh, Godzilla movie, and... Um, I've, even to this day I still have like VHS tapes of like all the movies that got me into it and to this day I try to watch the latest movies actually like for me, I would, like to get a movie recommendation because I'm always asking other filmmakers from both my college and from SVA um, to like recommend it, um, some to me and like for some episodes of like Wrong Real I see like okay, I've never heard of this movie, but I'm going to check it out, so it was just like that's how I mostly get my stuff uh movies but anyway um I like to um move on to the another discussion um we're actually going to cover like the majority of the story. so we basically got the intro the first story let's talk about the second story which was the I believe kick it was the, can. the old yo oh, uh, kick the can yeah that to me that was the most honest one not because it was so kind and sweet and innocent in a sense But it's for a Twilight Zone episode. I just had to think. There had to be some message messed up about it. Because usually all the episodes or the past segments, they were all fucked up. But this one, is just like... Huh? Because in a sense, it's like... It's it's almost like you're watching this horror movie. And it's just so gruesome. Like, let's take for example, you're watching, like, I don't know, Friday the 13th. And you just see all this blood gore. And then you cut to a shot of, like... I don't know, like puppies and cats and you're just like you're just like one of these things don't match the other, like what?
2: Yeah, this was Steven Spielberg's entry into the into the film, I mean he produced the entire yeah. film um, but this was the film, this is the segment he directed, which was also based on an original episode mm-hmm. also entitled Kick the Can um, it is very, it has a lot of Spielbergian elements to it Uh, It is very sweet. I I actually am not a huge fan of it, though. I think it's one of Spielberg's weaker directing efforts that he's done, and I'm a huge Spielberg fan. I love most of his work. Mm -hmm. Um, But every now and then, he kind of does something like this to me that just kind of just didn't didn't work for me. It didn't quite... um, To me, it feels more like it belongs in... The his series that he created a few years, years later called Amazing Stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to me, it had more of that element, sort of like this amazing fantastical tale of of you know old people that discover what it means to be you know Young to live again, a life yeah. one time, you know, and, and that your life you only have one shot, but you know make it count, kind of thing. Yeah. And um, you know, I feel like that this this episode, of course, again, he didn't write it; it's based on a classic episode so he was really just kind of trying to put his his visual his style, uh, style and his sort of uh, ta- his personal take on yeah. it um, but it, it reminds me of a lot of uh, things that films that came out later by his contemporaries like the movie Cocoon mm-hmm. borrows some of the elements from this um, Batteries Not Included You know, he Spielberg definitely which he produced as well he definitely has had this really um, this affinity for know the sort of what it means to grow old and and the sort of importance of of uh of sort of our older generation Mm -hmm. you know i think something that he always tries to it's a theme that he sometimes tries to to revisit in his films um so i think there's like 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 i said i think there's a lot of spielberg in it but it doesn't it doesn't quite give you that sort of magical spielbergian feeling that a lot of his films like et do it doesn't give you chills, doesn't make you feel something amazing. It's pretty obvious to me at least that once you uh, once you sort of meet the Scatman Crothers character and hear the things that he's saying that he's going to take these people on sort of a magical night um, and they're going to realize... To me it just feels a little bit obvious where it's going to go. Again, not... This is also knowing the original story he doesn't again he didn't add anything kind of to me that really took it to a new mm-hmm. level but i still enjoy it yeah. still, it's a nice sweet story i just think of the segments in this film it, it's probably the weakest in my yeah opinion. so
1: i am in the minority in this and i know that a lot of people think this is the weakest entry uh, and it could be because i don't remember loving it when i was younger but re-watching it last week i like cried at the end of the sequence and i just think it was really poignant and i just think it maybe it has to do with just aging and you know having a just growing up a little, but, um, the original, I feel like the next three segments, uh, kick the can and it's a good life and 20, uh, nightmare at 20,000 feet. I feel like all of those, the original episodes are better than these segments, which I mean, they're so yeah. classic these episodes. So I don't know if they could achieve, they do do things different. Um, I really love the original kick the can episode. I think it's, um, really magical. And this sequence I like, it's not as good as the, um, the, uh, TV the TV classic TV episode but they do do different things and what i love about the classic TV episode is they really talk they their whole thing about aging and it, it, one of the big themes is that all the amazing, wonderful things that happen in life or the main character sort of sees them as magic. And I love that. Like he talks about the first time he kisses his wife and when his son was born and friendship and that's all sort of magic and that how he wants to recapture that magic and, and tries to get the other people in the home to kick the can to recapture the magic of like what it was like to be young and it's all about attitude. And I think that's just such a beautiful sentiment. It's different in this sequence, which is the film, but what I liked about this sequence was when all the um, these older people did become kids I liked how they didn't want to stay kids I thought that was really poignant like how they talked about um, I don't want to do school again which I feel like that's <laughs> what I would say um, but like that what really really thing that got me was the how one person said I don't want to lose all the people that I loved again that's just so I mean I think there's something that comes with olding when you know when you're going to get older you're going to start to lose all the people around you and thinking about actually going through that and not wanting to have that happen again I thought that was was really interesting and it's not something they did in the original episode, but the the end of the episode when that one uh um older person does stay young and and and, and there's like sort of a stodgy person in this in this um mm-hmm. film sequence who doesn't who who doesn't believe like you guys should just a uh, capture being old and he and then when he sees that everybody can be young again he starts to get he starts to cry and he's like take me with you and he realizes that he could be young. I don't know but it really got me when I saw it last week I, I was like crying in my office when i was watching it at my lunch hour <laughs> so i don't know i think it maybe it just has to do with like when you see it in your period of your life but i definitely think people do see this as the weakest sequence i actually see it um it's one of my favorite sequences of the film now And I, I think it maybe just because i've seen it again I, I i really like it um i i think i totally get why people won't see it as the strongest one but it's something yeah. that just it it moved me um
2: well i think i'll, I'll tell you why i i, I... The main issue I had about with it is not the idea. I really love the I, I love all the things that you just said. I love all of that about it. I love the idea. I just think that the film itself didn't have time to develop these these elderly characters in a way that you really cared for them, got to know mm-hmm. who they were when they were younger. Like They really only took 10 minutes to sort of have them each tell a little story about what they used to like to do or who they were when they were younger. And I think a longer film, you know, like I mentioned films like Cocoon or Batteries Not Included, which came out in the mid to late 80s, that you had time to really get to know those those elderly characters, yeah. to really get and feel for them as, as people and, and understand what they did in their lives. And, and to sort of then, if we had that 45-minute buildup and then you got to see this joy of, of their lives, um, you know, them getting to live one last night as children. I just think there's so much potential with this particular story that I think in the short segment they didn't have time to fully realize it the way at least I imagine. Yeah, it, so. I was
1: surprised about how powerful the ending was for me, considering I maybe I just like, I'm just a sap now. It was just the music and then the tears. And I'm <laughs> right. like, yeah. when he's like, take me with you, I was like, oh God. And I'm like, why am I, why do I care this much? Again, I didn't spend a lot of time with this actor, this character, yeah. but it just yeah, yeah. really got to me. There was something about it that just really hit me this time.
2: Yeah, yeah. The music was very good, and it was the most sort of wall-to-wall music. Also, like very um, joyous, very, in a way. Yeah, very Spielbergian. In very. that sense, he he loves to use, you know, music to enhance the emotion. Although it is, it's interesting. as as you mentioned, Becky, he uh, this film in particular shows Jerry Goldsmith to do the entire score of the film, where they didn't actually have individual uh, composers do the do separate scores. Um, he did the entire score, and it's I think probably the only time Spielberg hasn't used John Williams <laughs> to score one of his his directorial efforts. So that's maybe that's why And it why could be because J- the Rudy needed, score,
1: <laughs> and I hear the like one note of the Rudy oh, yeah. score. It's like Niagara Falls. So maybe that's it. Maybe <laughs> yeah. it's just Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah. That's Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah. yeah.
2: So I, I don't know. Like I said, it's uh, I'm not really in in a way saying it's a bad segment. I'm just I was just sort of comparing yeah. it to the to the other no, yeah, yeah. film. And uh, and just sort of stating, if I were to rank them, where right? It would, no, where I but I, I
1: also think too that I think that that I'm definitely a minority here. I think it's just in general. I think people a lot of people believe this is the weakest one of the whole film.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. in a sense, it's like um, because the Twilight Zone is basically something that's like always off, like everything is always off about it, right? But, I mean, I'm kind of in the middle between the both of you, like, I liked it because it was, like, also, like, it was such a nice story, but also, like, I thought, like, it doesn't really fit the pattern of, like, what's going on, because usually Twilight Zone is all about, like, messing with your mind, or, like, it's just, like, scaring you with all these twists, and to me, when watching it for the first time, it was just like, okay, there's something about this old man who keeps mentioning about, like, kick the can and whatever, and he has like this sorcery power magic, like he's going to turn evil or something, right? But he doesn't, and that's what I was thinking, because like, usually I'm just like, okay, in a a way to picture it, it's like if I look at a bunny from, that's from the Twilight Zone, and it just looks so innocent and cute, I know there's something messed up about it. We're actually going to talk about a bunny from the movie later on, but, um, music the music was actually really, I liked it, and it, When first hearing I was just like, okay, yeah, this is Spielberg's moment. Like, this is going to be it. And the ending, though, to that segment was, like, so nice. And they actually hinted in the beginning of him mentioning that he's been to six or seven different types of retirement houses. And in a way, like, for him to make these other people that are in this retirement home to be young again, it kind of reminded me of something like Peter Pan type of style, like being young again. So it's like... It was, like in a sense is like is this like paying homage to Peter Pan or like what was Spielberg's like like what was his inspiration to it and I think like you both mentioned that there was an episode I don't know if I got up to it I remember it but no it's um like I'm kind of in the middle of it because I can understand both point of views I'm like as a story it's so nice it's, it's, it's honestly cute really yeah but like for a Twilight Zone it's just very off yeah well and I think that's for a twilight zone really it's kind of matches this theme of being so off that you, you're just left confused and the fact that we're like talking about it is actually good c- c- for adam it's like it's so random like it's like a totally different beat from an entire rhythm so well one of the to me really it's just like um it's like it's so different that it can conf- you and that's what the whole Twilight Zone is all about really in my point of view
1: well, one of the reasons why uh, I think this movie what it does really well is I think it brings out the best in all of, of what Twilight Zone is and they show like something very scary and to something dark and just and social commentary but I actually like how they chose this sequence because of the fact that there are Twilight Zone episodes like a kick the can is actually, is this this episode is very is, is it's that ep- the original episode is actually very magical and sweet but one of my favorite episodes which I talked about on the wrong real episode is walking distance, which is a beautiful, beautiful episode of Twilight Zone that has no twist. I mean, is, I mean, this man is sort of just an advertising executive in the in the, in the show, and he um, is getting his car fixed, and he's just not really happy with his life, and he ends up going into a town, and that town turns is, is he ends up walking into his past and kind of seeing what his life was like, and then when he the when the show is over, um, when he uh, Goes off into the real life, he realizes I should actually appreciate my life and for what it is and, and keep my yeah. childhood where it is. And it's really like a magical episode, too, but an uplifting one and really uh, powerful. And so there are episodes like that of Twilight Zone. And um, so I do like how they do, I think it did fit with like showing like sort of a poignant, powerful, magical episode in the fact of like. In, in picking four sequences of the best of Twilight Zone and Kick the Can is the the very end of season three, so it's if you are going in chronological order, it would be a while till you got to it. I think.
2: Yeah, I think I'm in the beginning of season three, really. Yeah, and, and I, I think you're right, Becky. I think because so many people. Watch Twilight Zone at least that are younger. They watch it, whether it's on these marathons or whether they watch them on streaming services, and then they yeah. go look for top twenty lists. You know what I think happens is the more sort of supernatural episodes with the biggest twist endings. Not many of them really had twist endings, which is something that people don't realize. It's just the ones that are the most talked about, sort of the ones that have become the most cult uh, in like in their following that have those, those types of endings and those are the ones that seem to get the most play and the most discussion so as a result I think people forget that there were plenty of episodes like you mentioned that didn't have that big twist ending that were were sweeter or that had more of just a, like, a lesson that is learned or yeah. um, someone has a realization about their own life, about life and death or about something. Th- th- that's I think something that a lot of the episodes ex- explored it was just the certain ideas that that all people cope with and obviously older people wanting to be young again is something that almost everybody has thought about at some point in their life mm-hmm. but i think i do like that idea that that you you only live once and so appreciating the life that you did live and the moment that you're in now is really what life is mm-hmm. all about you know and not not dwelling on the past not wanting to constantly Relive the past because, or, and not being afraid of the future because then, in, in what happens is you stop living in the present. You know, you stop appreciating the moment you have now if you're always worried about the past or the future. So, I think that's that's Spielberg in a, in a nutshell. <laughs> he, he, he has a very positive and, um, you know, message that he wants to obviously give his viewers, uh, in most of his films. And uh, it sort of reflects, I think, his own outlook and his own point of view, and that's something that at least you can say for Spielberg is he's truly an auteur in that sense. You can almost always see a movie and know it's a Spielberg movie, yeah. and whether you love it or not, it's uh, it's it's almost always mm-hmm. it almost always has his sort of his trademark uh, in it. And, and, you know, I mentioned that he didn't have John Williams to the score, but he did have his longtime editor, Michael Kahn, do the editing. So he, it really is, it, it was assembled by his, his team of people that he usually works with uh, and um, his sort of trusted group of people. Uh, I'm not sure, I can't r- recall who he used as a cinematographer, but um, that, was, that was one of the elements that I didn't love. I didn't love the cinematography in it, and that might have been one thing that took me out of it a little bit. I thought it was a little, I don't know, just a little blown out,
0: mm-hmm.
2: a little too... I think mm-hmm. he was trying to create this kind of warm sense, this kind of warm, a lot of oranges it's the coloring, and yellows. Yeah, the coloring, The so, lighting
0: gave it a warm sense in it, so I could yeah. see that, actually. There was like a lot of orange and brown and a little bit of red mm-hmm. to like give it warmth. So it, it was like warm and hard because it's such a nice story, really. So yeah I, yeah, I agree on the point of it, like having this warm feeling. Um, but no, yeah, that was, um, the one thing I would, um, say, though, is that what, um, that story really, it was, like, it was really nice, though, um, but the ending, though, I, I, it just made me, like, melt a little bit, because I was, like, this is just the sweetest, like, episode of the movie, and one of the nicest episodes that I can remember was, um, it was actually on season one where we have the salesman trying to save a girl's life, from the grim reaper by trying to persuade him to buying a tie mm-hmm. i think that's season one episode three or two but that was like one of my that's actually one of my favorite episodes because we have some like guy who wants to sell something and he's like kind of desperate but he's also kind of greedy and for him to like sacrifice his own life to save someone else's life it's a very nice thing but yeah twilight zone it, it might be all messed up with like a lot of twist endings i mean you have episodes about people trying to survive the apocalypse and their glasses breaks and we have like like, uh, plastic surgery of like them not looking like the other people and they think they're a freak when really they look like a normal person so it, for a show to have like all these twist episodes and twist endings for it to have like sweet episodes or like but still have a twist ending to it that works well for the tone it's actually really great so um, and I agree with the point, like, for a show to be so dark, it, and for a lot of the young audience, including myself, um, for them to see the show and to, like, think, like, all the episodes are going to be, like, dark and twisted, and even though there are some good ones here and there, um, this segment of, like, the film is just, like, it catches some people off guard, even myself, because I forgot of, like, oh, yeah, there's sweet episodes of the Twilight Zone, because... When you're watching the two um, ones that happened before, you're thinking, okay, all the stories are going to be dark and twisted and just downright scary, like the next one we'll talk about. Um, but it's just like you forget that there's still an innocent side to the Twilight Zone, as crazy as may
2: sound. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so no,
2: you're you're right, and I think you know later on there would be a, a number of, of anthology shows, which did focus more on the horror elements. I mean, you had Tales from the Crypt and on HBO, so there, there were a lot of attempts, I think, for uh, you know, sort of copycat anthology shows that came mm-hmm. along later on that were, that sort of stuck to all scary, all, you know, gory type of sh- episodes. Um, but again, I think because Spielberg spearheaded this project and, and produced it, Knowing Spielberg for who he is, he didn't want it to be a pure horror fest. He wanted yeah. it to to be um, sort of a a collection of the different tones that the that the entire series had to offer. So uh, he he chose this one, and um, but I think that you know the next one is one yeah, of my favorite. Yeah. Original it's episodes. my favorite. Let's go, so,
0: let's go straight to it. So the next story, which was. Uh, my favorite one honestly because that one was just like the it's more, It's considered one of the most iconic moments of it because of a certain scene of that segment and it's about the little boy that's um, wow that, that little kid who has the most bizarrest craziest imagination that can turn anything real but it is so fucked up really <laughs> <laughs> so Um, we have uh, the segment where we start off in a bar, like, restaurant of a woman trying to ask for directions while we see a little kid who's all alone with no parents, which was the red flag right there for me, and he's playing this arcade game, which they hardly showed, and I don't know why, but, like, every time they show, like, a video game or, like, someone playing a video game in, like, a movie, like, something about, like, like, I don't know, like, the wizard or... Uh, I just want to see the arcade like I just want to see the game they're playing. I don't know why <laughs> So he's trying He's while he's playing this game He's trying um, people who are also there are trying to watch a boxing match But this kid is basically butthurt the fact that he keeps trying to slam the um, The arcade game and they, it keeps messing the reception of the TV. So these two guys just like unplug it And this woman's basically pissed off about it. She drives off and I, don't, I know it's going to sound very cruel, but I couldn't help myself, but I laughed so hard. I had to pause the movie. I laughed so hard when the kid got bumped by the, while he's on a bike, he gets hit by the car. I don't know why. I was just laughing so hard because it looked like, I mean, yeah, it's from the 80s, but it, to me, it just looked like a rag doll was on a bike and it just got hit so hard. And I was just like, I was in tears because that segment was just, just that moment. oh was I think so it happened so
1: fast I didn't even know it was. yeah
0: but it was that indication of like okay this epith- this moment is gonna be about this kid something about this kid. And then, unfortunately it was about that kid because um, later on we see that this kid um, brings this woman to this um, home where he has this so-called family and they are saying watching um, Warner-, um, Warner Brothers cartoons and they have like this whole cartoonish house and um yeah so we get to this moment of like oh meet the family whatever and let's have dinner together and he's taking her on a tour of the place while it's kind of changing color to the music because the music plays a huge role in this segment because it kind of gets the mood and don't get me wrong every segment had the mood to it of based on the music but for me this one had like this type of Hitchcock type of style where, where and it, I've heard it before where it's like the music and the the positions or like where the actors or actresses move like their movement and the music it's almost kind of like a ballroom dance really of like what's happening currently and the motion the feeling of what's going on now and it really did great for it because you feel kind of like the tension in a sense of like what the characters are thinking and um for the cartoons that you see in the background, um, there, I believe it was mo- three cartoons they were showing. One of them was a classic about the dog and the little cat, and the other two I don't remember, but um, the cartoons played a huge role, especially when we have a scene where the the woman is eating a the most disgusting sandwich idea I've ever heard in my entire life of a peanut butter hamburger. <laughs> And I'm so glad I'm vegan that I don't have to even think of trying that, but (laughs) um, If you kind of look in, like right next to her you see the TV and you see a cartoon character eating something And he's just like tasting it but he has like this scrunched up face of disgust So it's like the cartoon behind her is also like giving out like what is she feeling or thinking Without her having that much emotion shown facially but also like without words So it's like it does it for her so we get the sense of what the character is feeling and then we have like this kid who shows like we see um... Yeah, I'm like all over the place for it but um... we see a person who's like on a wheelchair all alone in the most dark room ever kinda reminded me of my cousin but <laughs> um... we see her without no mouth and for some reason I thought of a video game called um, I can't scream I-, I have no mouth I must scream and it's like we, she has no mouth. She her eyes are all open. So it's just like okay. So, um, we see that, and also like this kid has like these supernatural powers of like his imagination going to real. And it's like a twisted version of Law of Attraction. But this kid takes it to a whole new level, cause he's basically like the son of Satan. Like this kid is just so twisted, and I don't know why that. Like, you can have a, a, an adult slasher horror killer, right? Like, and people will be like, okay, that's scary. But when you have a little kid who's, like, who looks so innocent, like he just is, like, was in preschool, whatever, and he just has this evil power, that's more scarier than a full-grown Jason Voorhees. Mm-hmm. So this kid was like, hey, so we're going to do a magic show and we get to, like, the most... I think it's the most memorable moment of the entire film of, like, when people think of the Twilight Zone movie, they think of this one specific scene where we have this gigantic rabbit, like, berserk, coming out of a magic hat. And I... Please, if you do know the answer to it, like, who was... uh, Who did the model of, like, that creature? I don't know if it was animatronic or, like... Animation, but if it, I mean for the 80s, I'm not sure. But yeah, this kid has some twisted powers, and Yen Ling's just pretty weird. But let me uh, tell me, what did you think of this? Whatever that story was, what did you what oh, get to? Uh, think? Well,
1: I mean, the, the, the story is based on It's a Good Life. Have you seen the? You have, it sounds like you may have not seen the original episode, It's a Good Life. The... I, it was one of my... Not, we talked about it. It's a, it's Ashley season three again. It's season three, episode eight of the original series. Oh and it's about a, like, a kid that's a six-year-old kid who's a monster. And that episode is is one of the best episodes. And my, yeah. one of my favorite episodes ever of the series. Um, it's really dark, very twisted about this kid who can... Um, the whole his family and really the, he wishes the whole town all the there he lives in a town and everybody are in surrounding towns are are no longer there it's just his town and the whole world he wished everybody away and um if yeah. they don't do what he they can um he can hear all their thoughts which i don't know and this this is this was different because this kid couldn't hear their thoughts but this kid in the tv show could hear their thoughts so you always had to be saying thinking good things and if you I've didn't heard, yeah, he I've could heard, send you to the yeah. cornfield and it was really twisted um, um, and dark. Uh, this is what uh, this is based on. The scene where the show, the girl without the mouth, is the most frightening image I've ever seen in cinema. And I remember it scared me so much when I was a kid. And it still is really um, visceral image. It's I think because it, her eyes are moving so back and forth, and it's just it's just surprising when the camera pans down and she has no mouth. So that was very scary. But um, i thought this uh i thought the sequence is great and um i'm not actually sure adam might know about the special effects but the the bunny obviously is very scary um i like how they have they have a lot of nods in this um in this uh segment to old twilight zone episodes like uh the the woman that played his mom and his dad um are from uh past twilight zone episodes um uh and um and Bill Mumy, who played the little boy the six year old boy in the original episode the monster um, he's in the bar scene I believe is that in in the very in the bar scene yeah. when the, then the woman is asking for directions um, I also there's just a lot of fun trivia in this episode like I like how um, in uh, the beginning of the uh, the episode she's saying that um, where she, like where she's from and where she's going she says she's going to Willoughby and that she's from Homewood and um, Homewood is from walking distance that episode that I told you which is one of my favorite episodes where that man walks into this town of his childhood so um she's saying that she's going there. That's where she's, that's where she's trying to find directions to. And she's from Willoughby, which is from an episode called the stop at Willoughby, which is really uh, Willoughby ends up being a funeral home. It's a very scary, uh, crazy episode, but I like that. And I also like how she opens the door. Um, at one point, there was a big eye that eye is from, um, the opening yeah, title was... sequence of outer limits, um, which I'm, ai uh, know Adam and I are both big fans of that TV series, but I just think this episode is, I mean, this, this segment is really well done. It, it's uh it's creepy with the with the peanut butter hamburgers and the ice cream and oh. that and and uh, nancy cartwright isn't she his sister adam um <laughs> Yeah, which yeah. is kind of crazy. The woman that plays Bart Simpson is his sister in this segment. So just a bunch of fun trivia on its own. But I just think it's the creepiest segment. Um, it's such, it's so well done. It, it is very, it is a very different from the original um, uh, classic TV show, which is nice because it's different. Um, it's less, I think, terrifying. But it's also, um, and then there's actually kind of a happy. There's a happy ending at the end, which is um, there's not a happy ending at the end of the classic TV yeah. show. Um, it's actually. Just really terrifying ending of the classic episode. You should definitely seek it out, Ian, if you hadn't seen it, because it is yeah, just an extraordinary episode
2: of television.
1: But, uh, yeah, I really while, enjoyed yeah. it. What do you think, Adam?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's a great uh, uh, a great segment, um, one of the stronger ones. Uh, I also agree that the original episode is better, but, again, it's oftentimes very hard to separate two things once you've seen the original Um but I, you know, it, Joe Dante, who at this point had only done, I think, really one big film. He um, he had done the, a werewolf movie called The Howling, which was a pretty good werewolf film. But he would go on after this uh, to work on a number of films that Spielberg would produce, including Gremlins and um, and uh, numerous other you know uh, films. He he was a really good uh, kind of genre mm-hmm. director. He did a lot of work in the '80s and early '90s. Um, the visual effects were done by the great Rob Button, He did the creature effects, and you know you've seen his work on everything from um, he did makeup for the original Star Wars. He worked on RoboCop. He worked on Total Recall. He worked on The Thing. So yeah, he's been around and been working on makeup effects and model effects and and you know that type of uh, of uh, prop monster special effects for for a long time. And uh, so he obviously created the the, the demon bunny that you were referencing earlier. And, uh, yeah, I think that it's it's a really great um, self-contained little story. It's um, It's a little more visually twisted than the original episode. I think it's more disturbing to watch, whereas the original episode, I think, is more sort of, Disturbing to yeah, think about. Yeah, it's more about. psychologically <laughs> terrifying. More psychologically disturbing. Yeah. yeah, because it makes it puts you in. It makes you imagine what would I be like if I was in this home with this boy who could read your thoughts oh. and would would you know kill you in a second or transport you out to what do they call it? court. The, the cornfield. Uh, 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 the the cornfield. Yeah. Um. And uh. Yeah. So there were all types of. Um, Things that the original episode, I think, just sort of did to you psychologically, whereas this one, I think, took a more visual approach. Again, because I think Joe Dante is a visual <laughs> director, and he he likes to use uh, those tools. Um, whereas, you know, in this film, he's watching, as you mentioned, cartoons and all the televisions yeah. in every room. It's essentially like what any little boy, like if he could have whatever he wanted, what would he want? And where? And he has he eats junk food, he watches cartoons all day. He thinks this is the greatest. Uh, way to live, and he thinks that anybody, including his family, would want to live the same life that he does. And why wouldn't they? It's great. You don't have to do any work. You just have. You can sit around watching cartoons oh, all God, day. That's yeah. that's amazing. So you know, from a small boy's perspective, that might sound amazing. Yeah. Me having a young girl, you know, I can imagine all. If she had her way, she would eat nothing but candy and watch <laughs> Frozen all day. So, <laughs> yeah, that that would be the 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 uh, you know the best the best. Uh, World she could live in. So, it again as you get older, obviously you need purpose, you need you need work, you need okay. things to drive you, and um, and I think that's what this film, this segment does nicely, is it adds this schoolteacher character named play, played by Captain Quinlan, yeah, who is essentially going to, you know, tutor him in how to control his powers, and for some reason he seems to sort of respect her and want her to like him. And that's important because obviously the people that he's brought to this house up until this point, he really is just using as like mm-hmm. puppets. He wants them there. wants to He wants company, but he he really is controlling them all. So this this the the uh, you know the addition of this new character, this woman, um, you know, it seems that she somehow is going to sort of be his his guardian and teach him and learn learn with him what his powers can do mm-hmm. what are the limits how to control them how to use them for good uh, you know and only when necessary perhaps that's sort of the the you know and I like I always thought that this had a really a, a sweet ending as well as they drive off into the sunset flowers kind of um uh, grow uh in the wake of of the car uh driving away and uh so i i think that obviously she's showing that the little boy he his for the first time, he's found somebody that actually cares about him, and that's sort of what he really wanted. Yeah. He wanted somebody more than anything that would want to be there with him and of her own free will, and somebody that wanted right. to, you know, you know, take care. Yeah, because of these him.
1: people around him are just telling him what he wants to hear because they don't want to get hurt. Exactly. Like they Like when they t- she says, "Oh, you eat like this all the time," and he's like, "Well, no one told me." well, should I not be eating like this all the time? And maybe that's something that he heard from his real parents years ago when he was younger, and. Well, I mean, it sounds like right. he did something to his parents. So he um, is a monster, <laughs> yeah. but, and he does monster, monster things. Like he sends the woman, uh, Nancy Cartwright into the cartoon, but he, I think that maybe he's getting old enough where he realizes that he wants more, that he wants a parental figure and love and someone who really cares about him. So that's, it, it is interesting, yeah. uh, ending. It's also funny too, with like in the the house is a replica of the house in that cartoon that he's watching at the beginning of mouse wreckers. Yeah. So it is like, yeah. you think about it, like he, He's think- looking at things that he wants to have. Oh, I love to live in this house, and that's the house that he creates for them to live in. Um, so um, yeah, it's it's uh, there's a there's just a lot of layers to the story, um, some terrifying ones and some like you know really profound ones. And it, it's it's a, it's a it's a it's really fascinating sequence of the film, the a segment of the film, and I I really really enjoyed it. It's uh, I think it's it's my favorite, other than the prologue. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Uh, but no, I I didn't even know there was an episode so I like I had to check like what episode was I on because I thought it was in the beginning of season 3 and it turns out I'm actually on like season 2 episode 10 Again, it's been a long time since I've last seen the show because I've been so busy with other things But I gotta rewatch um, the series <laughs> But no this kid was just like so twisted really and I would have thought like only could imagine like what would it have been like if he was like a teenager of like trying to get his way and like how it would have been much more different but um I'm also like curious of like how did this kid get these powers but also like how like what did he do to his parents and I don't know if I missed it but um yeah this kid is like anything he creates it just happens and the ending though was like very surprising for me cause she he realizes that this woman is not afraid of him cause of these powers that he has but also wants to help him like be his mentor like I thought to myself what are they gonna do together now that she's discovered that he has his powers but also like what would they be capable of doing and like would she use him for like evil doing or like good stuff like what would happen really so it's just like you have this imagination of like what happened beyond their story like after their after the curtains go down like what's gonna happen more for them really
2: I think I think that they tried to set it up and they, they established her as a school teacher, changing jobs, trying to you know, find some new purpose in her life. And I think the idea that they were trying to um, project was that she, being a teacher of small children, would know how to sort of tame him and teach him how to control and only use his powers under very specific circumstances, and that... In the end, that maybe they would have she would become a surrogate mother to him, and and she who has no family would have a have a yeah. son, and they would learn you know to to love each other and take care of each other, and um, that that was my mm-hmm. always my impression. I didn't. I also don't see him really as a monster in this as much as I did in the original episode. I, I see him as probably someone who was born with these abilities. Doesn't understand why he can do them. He doesn't understand how to control them. He just thinks this is normal. If you could just do something by default it would be normal to you and if no one ever told you I mean kids say all the time you know they yell at their parents I hate you I wish you were dead well if he could if he said that and they just disappeared does that make him a monster see, yeah. no yeah. Listen, yeah, he's, he, he's not he's a kid he's not really a monster he just wished them away because he could he didn't know he could do it it wasn't something that he was really in control of so I just always thought that he was somebody that again needed guidance needed somebody that understood what he was going through, and uh, he never had that. And as you said, he had people around him that were so terrified of him that they would yes him to death and wouldn't actually do anything to care for him or help him mm-hmm. because they just wanted to. They didn't want anything bad to happen to them. So that's just my mm-hmm. perspective on it. Yeah. I it's um it's probably to me the second my se- aside from the opening, <laughs> the second best uh, segment in the film. I I'm a personal fan of the final segment. I love the original mm-hmm. episode. It's one of my favorite. Um you know Terror at 20,000 feet with William Shatner. Um this segment is uh to me just such a terrifying and perfect original episode yeah. and it it is by far probably on you know one of the most well-known original episodes. Uh, It's been spoofed on everything from The Simpsons to (laughs) I mean you can you name it. It's it's so it's so become part of sort of the zeitgeist of American you know cinema that even people that haven't really heard The Twilight Zone sort of know about this episode. They know images from it about this sort of creature or gremlin Mm -hmm. on on the wing of a plane terrorizing uh, a, a passenger. And um, you know, of course, John John Lithgow, the great John Lithgow, plays uh, the the lead in this in this episode, taking over the part from William Shatner. Um, I think John Lithgow did a, an incredible job, oh my gosh. Um, but uh, but it's hard to compare because William Shatner did an amazing job as well. It's there, and they are very different. This is another example where there are a lot of changes. It's the basic premise is intact, but John Lithgow doesn't have a wife in this one. I always like the dynamic of. William Shatner uh, with his wife and then the conversations that Mm -hmm. they would have in between the sightings of the creature on the wing. Um, This one was directed by George Miller, who, of course, did, you know, the Mad Max films up until that point. Um, He would later go on to (laughs) make movies like like Babe. Um, But yeah, he uh, yeah, this is just one of my uh, favorite sort of cinematic um, stories um and uh, i i i just want again in this case it's one of those episodes where i wish it was even longer i wish there was a little bit yeah. more um uh, because the 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 story the premise to it to me is just such a strong one because so many people have a fear of flying that mm-hmm. you you add to that this sort of supernatural component on the wing and it just is so terrifying for so many people
0: no yeah i'm I even had the experience of like I'm not personally afraid of flights but I've had an experience of flying with someone who has a phobia of flying and it was it's so hard to like calm them down and for this movie really like the segment of the film it was like in a sense it's like getting into the psychological minds of like what it's like for a person who has like a phobia of like flights of like what they're feeling and like what their imagination can come up with right and like, I just want to point out like the opening to the segment like the cinematography was on point of like it's starting off in the top and In a sense it's actually a good idea because we even though we look at the character from all the way below It kind of gives like the weakness that the character has because they always say in order to show um, How strong a character is or how weak the character is show them like in an angle where they look big or where they look small and For him he's more he's tiny so it's like, okay, we know that he's not that weak, and he's not that strong, because he's freaking out that he's in a plane, which is in a thunderstorm, which I think anybody can agree, that's pretty damn scary, but also, and I've unfortunately had that experience before, but it's terrifying, but also it the lighting, there was like a little bit of blue and white to it, because of the window that they showed of like what's going on outside this huge uh, thunderstorm, and It gives it like a very good homage of like what's it like inside the um, person mentally of The experience of like going through a plane, but also Of it going through a huge storm. So that itself was pretty crazy and the performance uh, My god was just so spot-on of like him freaking out in the bathroom and they're trying to not saying like if he's alright and he's when he's trying to consume his pills and he's shaking a lot the noise, everything about it's just so great. It makes, it gives it a huge depth of like you're actually there, but you actually also feel for the character because this character is a middle-aged man, I believe, who's freaking out. He's trying to get his shit together, but also it's a thunderstorm, so it's like a huge war for him, really, both mentally and physically. But the mental part of it is the strongest part um, to me, really, and for him to see this weird monster that's like hanging from the right wing I believe it was um, is freaking and to me it's like in a sense it's kind of playing with the mentality because no one else can see it but him and he's trying to tell everyone like there's a monster out there so to me it was kind of like saying like when people have this have this huge uh, mental breakdown especially when it comes to fear they start to see things and I've heard that that happens before, especially with the experience of flying with someone who has a phobia of a flight. It was a flight to Vegas, which was hard as hell really, but no, I mean, thank God she took it well, but to see that really is giving you like a sense of like, this is what it's like for a person to fly. So that was just like horrific. um, like becky what did you think of like that whole segment
1: so uh i'm a minority here as well because <laughs> i i'm not a huge fan of the sequence because i'm i think because i'm such a huge fan of the original episode um with um william shatner and that that episode was Richard uh, directed by richard donner who it did Superman and the Omen and Scrooged which I love but uh, the original uh, the original episode is, is so well done um, and I think the reason why I'm not a huge fan of this one is because I kind of feel like it's the same thing and I already know because I have seen that Renault no, 20,000 feet which William Shatner and such perfection and i've seen it so many times it's like i don't think they did enough with this to make it different um so i kind of felt really bored and i used to like it a lot but when i rewatched it last week i was sort of like all right all right let's i was trying to like it was just like going through the motions (laughs) okay he's gonna see the gremlin and it was a lot of the same stuff like the 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 when he gets off the you see that the the wing actually had it was a real something real that he saw, just like the original, but um, the uh, classic episode, one of the things I really like is he is with his wife, and you get that whole dynamic, like you said, Adam, and then also, they explain that he was a salesman um, on um, going on a flight, and um, in, in six months earlier, like went had a nervous breakdown on an airplane, and nobody really knows why. And this is his first plane back to go to his, to go back to his family, and so his wife is so excited to get their, her husband back, and her husband's going to come and see their kids again. And it's just, but and then she's just hoping that he's sane, and then she's thinking, oh my god, he's going crazy again. So it's it's just there's all these dynamics to the original. And, um, um, and layers to it, and uh, backstory that I just loved, and also I think William Shatner is just so amazing, and he also takes a gun from like a uh, po- um, like a policeman on the on the um, plane and shoots through the window, and it's just. I just think it's just so well done and I think that I, I, this, uh, this segment is just a victim of me just loving the original so much and it just being sort of the same thing that I was like this is I thought it was really boring because it was like I think it was the first time I ever saw it which I did it was the first time I saw this movie before I saw the episode when I was a kid you know w- when I first saw it when I was six I loved it but I think now growing up seeing the William Shatner episode and loving it so much now when I see it at 41 I'm just like I was a so boring? When is it going to be over?
2: (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to tell you, I'm going to explain what my, I'm going to blow your mind with my theory. Oh, okay. On what really, on why it is different. Now, this is just my personal theory. I don't know if I've never read this anywhere. I don't know if anyone else is going to be the first time. You blow my
1: mind so many times already, Adam, on this episode. Well,
2: (laughs) (laughs) actually, I have two theories, but this, the first one is that the big difference, of course, as we discussed, is that, yes, there's, there's no wife, um, and we don't. We know that he, based on this textbook that he's written, that he's like in computers. You know, he's. Um, I forget what the name of the book was called, mm-hmm. but he's uh, the mm-hmm. the, f- the flight attendant picks up this book and says, "Oh, you you like science fiction?" And he says, "No, no, I write. I am you know I wrote the yeah. book. You know, it's a tech it's a textbook." So, um, I, and the other, but the, so there's he's alone. That's the first step, the first difference. The next difference is that you start this episode with him in a sheer panic in the bathroom like he hasn't seen anything yet he's absolutely going crazy just because he's on a plane and he's terrified he's so terrified of flying obviously that uh and he does there's no evidence that he's coming from a sanitarium or that he's been you know, had any other um incidents in the past um whereas in in the william shatner version which i love i absolutely love it I, and i i it's one of my favorite tv episodes of all time of any mm-hmm. show um, you know he's he's in pretty decent shape up until he sees the creature on the wing for the first time. Then he starts going crazy. No. My theory is that he was in such fear and panic that he was essentially creating the monster through a, a type of mental projection that yeah. he was man- it was he was manifesting his fear on the wing, in in the physical plane. I think it's called like, astral oh, wow. projection. So and he has anything, like, he's actually just he, powers? And that's why no one else can see it, is that he's essentially his fear, he's so scared and terrified that something's going to happen to the plane, that he's willing it into existence. And that this creature is actually just, you know, him, just des- destroying the plane. That's how he mm-hmm. sees it. But it, it really is happening. He really is destroying the engines. Um, and that he essentially created this, 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 um, in in essence, he was the cause, uh, of the problem, but he also made it worse, you know, as he got more and more scared, he was creating it, he was making it, you know, the, the, the damage, uh, increase and so forth. So, I'm not saying that it wasn't real. I'm just saying that he was in essence sort of man he was it, this creature was a manifestation of his fears uh, and and terrors that he uh, he brought with him onto the plane. so that's just one theory the 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 sort of general theory that a lot of people believe and th- and from the original episode is that these were these are real creatures that live in the clouds that are uh, are mad at humans for encroaching on their territory that man was never supposed to be yeah, because Gremlins have to, to do with messing
1: up aircraft.
2: Right, and that goes back to World War II. So this is like this concept that they don't want us up there and they, they're trying to get us to go back down to earth and to, to, to basically cause so many accidents that humans will stop you know invading their their space in the sky. So that's kind of the general yeah. theory. I thought that perhaps you know George Miller was taking it in a new direction with this one. That was that was kind of my interpretation. I have nothing more than my own, just uh, you know, my own mind to to back this up. So there's no, there's nothing that I'm aware of that has discussed this prior or written no one that has written about it. Um, but that's what I like yeah. about movies is that everybody can go into them and sort of take out their own, uh, you know, their own take on it. And and that to me is why I find that they're both equally, and not equally, but they're both enjoyable takes on the same you know, the same tale, the same story, Uh, and uh, again, it it is hard for me to top the original episode, it's such a great episode in, in so many respects but um, that's yeah that's me that's I like my, that uh, I like your theory better like your theory, yeah. yeah it's
1: so funny how like like it's weird I love like I said I love all the original classic episodes more than the these three episodes that they're trying to do however I I don't know why I'm being so hard on this last one I think because maybe it seems like it's so it's it's so. Um, in line with that they don't do a lot different. Anything you know, the other ones are are, are very different, uh, or they just go they, their own inspiration. This one, for, to me, didn't feel like they did much other than him not having a wife and everything. So, and I just so I was like, well, he doesn't. He's great, but he's not William Shatner and. You know, I just there's just 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 just, and also because I kind of was like, oh well, I exactly know where this is going, and it's nothing is much different. So I think, but again, I'm I'm in the minority on that because a lot of people think that that these films were done, these segments were done in a in order of excitement, Uh, so he ascending order of excitement, and this was the best one. And you had said at the beginning this was your favorite, but I think I had used to really love it, and then you know I've been now over the like twenty years so obsessed with the original episode that now when I watch this one later I you know reassessed it and don't like it as much
2: right well I also don't like flying so that adds an element for me personally really? so no matter which which version I watch um, I'm not like this guy at all yes yeah. I, I just I'm not a fan of flying if I don't have to I won't <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, so but for me you know I I think about you know what can go right. wrong what what problems could arise and uh, and I know that that uh, a lot of people have that that same fear to varying degrees. So, I think that for me it's effect it's an effective mm-hmm. piece regardless of uh whether I know the outcome. Um I agree that they could have done a little bit more to change it up, to make it a little different. And and probably it was one of those situations where it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know, kind of situations where a lot of people that they that May have not seen the original episode. A new generation—they probably thought, "Well, let's just remake it and introduce it to a whole new generation." Yes, yeah, so it worked
1: really well. And on the hope end.
2: that and hope that hooks them and gets yeah. them to go back and watch the original, yeah. original series. So I feel like if they changed it too much, it actually probably would have caused a big, you know, uproar with the fan base saying, "Oh, this is not how it's supposed to go." You know, so it's kind of one of those situations where. If they if they remake it too closely, it's going to get criticized for that. And if they don't change if they change it too much, it's going to get criticized. Whenever you try to tamper with something so classic as that, you're going to have, yeah, <laughs> you know, you're going to have people who have opinions yeah. <laughs> either way. So mm-hmm. it's hard to it's hard to win. But uh, you know, originally though, one other thing to note is that this, I believe, was in the original scripted version and novel. Novelization of of this movie. It was supposed to be the second in the series, and I think, as you mentioned, a lot of people feel that perhaps Spielberg looked at what he had and assembled it in sort of this this, yeah. this um, build up, so that you were building up to sort of a finale that had the most action, the most excitement. Um, even if if it wasn't the best segment, into you know for everybody's tastes, it it, it definitely had the most. Um, energy if you will in terms of sort of the the, the visuals and you know the, the mm-hmm. action so that's obviously a good way to end any type of film is to have it end on uh, a really exciting note um, and uh, of course the ending of both the episode and this I think you mentioned we do see that um, the wing and the, the engine have been completely Just destroyed completely there are claw away. marks yeah, claw marks everywhere, um, which you know implies that this wasn't in his imagination. I think both the movie segment and the original episode, you're supposed to think throughout: is this all in their head? Yeah, you know, is this just his imagination? The original, I think, does a little bit um, more. It takes a little more time because of his wife sitting next to him to uh, to build that suspense because. He sees it more more times, I believe. Um, he you know he looks at it, he sees it, and he looks back. He tells his wife to look, and she looks, and yeah. she doesn't see it. Then they tell the flight attendant to come over, and she looks, and he doesn't. She doesn't see it. There's a lot more of of him trying to convince people that there's somebody out there mm-hmm. before that famous shot where he opens the, ah, the window and it's like right that up against shot. you know. So yeah. that was a good one. That,
0: that actually stalled me a bit. I was like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just, recently, I just actually thought of another theory and I don't know if it will work, but it kind of connects to like yours Adam where he creates the monster based on his like in a sense his fear. Now, what if, right? Like just imagine this. What if this was the um, the man who was in, the salesman, right? Who was in the plane was actually the little boy who couldn't who created his own imagination that couldn't handle it in his own imagination because Yeah, we had the teacher, the woman who was trying to help him out, but he's more grown now, and what if he can't, like, control his powers because of his fear, and it kind of backfires on him?
1: Oh, that's interesting. And he creates,
0: he creates the monster himself, so it's like his own imagination and feelings are, in a way, like, hurting him. Because he can't control his powers.
1: Yeah, and that could be DNA from when yeah, they it, said, like maybe they would have similar characters in each story. Exactly, that would be something yeah. cool that they could have done. Maybe that was maybe that is something originally they thought of, where maybe the kid becomes this person and later. Because um, I know that that was something and they originally wanted to do.
2: Mm-hmm. I don't know, right, I don't right, know and again, that. that's why my only my main point for my theory is that this version of the character played by John Lithgow is much more. Um, You know, he is, he were introduced to him in the very first shot in sort of a frenzy. He is in absolute chaos mentally. And like, he is shaking and sweating and he's taking pills. He is not in control Mm -hmm. of his body in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, Yeah, he's he's having a nervous breakdown. And whereas Shatner is pretty cool, calm, and cool up until that first sighting, I mean, you get, as Becky mentioned, you get a sense that based on, um, his backstory that he had, he had a nervous breakdown and everything with his, with, um, with, I don't know. was it six months earlier. Yeah, I forget it was exactly. Six months earlier. Um, yeah. And, but you know, what, what is a nervous a nervous breakdown? It could mean any number of things, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, um, th- they really, they did take a bold choice. I think in this one to make him be, um, like a paranoid, Wreck <laughs> from the first moment okay, you see him, guy, yeah. um, and that to me was was the big difference. And um, as I have watched, you know, most of the episodes and learned more about different supernatural things, that theory of mine sort of started to take form of you know one one sort of basically causing their own demise, you know, one creating their worst fears and um, and not knowing, not realizing they're doing it obviously, no, not yeah, knowing they have that, this ability. It happens a lot to so, some people yeah, that
0: their fears get the best of them and it's like in a sense, it's attracting to them
2: yeah, so so that's just my I'm, I'm sure all of the listeners <laughs> uh, will be happy to disagree with me on that <laughs> we gotta, we gotta but, check out how
0: many Twilight Zone yeah.
2: theories there are, especially
0: for the, the movie. Yeah, maybe somebody
1: <laughs> will come out now Adam yeah. and be like, here's proof that you were right, and we've just never seen it before <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> maybe there's someone who like takes all the segments and they're like it's one big like story and it's the same person that has to be one yeah. person who's trying to do that um but okay. let's yeah. let's go to the ending where we see like they they land the plane and after they check it out he's in the ambulance and he's like giving his story of like um, after he, he's talking to this guy and he's listening to like some music I don't know what it was um but he...
2: I think I think they were playing Creedence Clearwater Revival yeah. again. Yeah. If I, yeah.
0: Um, and he asked him, hey, you want to see something really scary? So it's like kind of like homage to the beginning. You just see him like kind of breaking the fourth wall when he looks at the camera and he's like wide-eyed. He's freaking out. And then that's when it ends to, like, it goes to the narration. Yeah,
1: that's great. It goes, like, the scene fades out to the starry yeah. sky and then you have the... It goes... The yeah, it goes to Rod Sterling's opening monologue yeah. with the this is there's a fifth dimension beyond which is known. To yeah, me. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And like uh, Adam said, it's it changes throughout the um, series, so it's great they use the original one. Uh, I really like the prologue. It's kind of fun to see Dan Eck right back, and I like how he <laughs> says. Heard you had a big scare up there, huh? And he's like, Want to see something really scary? So it's a really nice, uh, like, tie uh, <laughs> into everything. And Dan Ackroyd's great. Um, but this film is, um, it was it's interesting to hear your thoughts on it, Ian, because you hadn't, uh, you know, grown up on Twilight Zone and you, and you had just recently seen it. You hadn't seen it before. Because I was like, Oh, is this movie going to age well? Like, I really loved it back then. Am I going to still love it now? I was surprised. I thought it wasn't going to age as well. But it, it definitely yeah. did. Um, cl- clearly, the ending sequence didn't age as well for me just because i think my own uh, obsession with the classic um you know took so much away from it that i said like originally hadn't been there so um but i, I think this film is 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 really exceptional um i mean the, and worth seeking out and i love how they it's just to show this anthology and that they had these four very different uh, 80s directors take on a segment uh so I uh, I'm I'm just a big fan of it, and I definitely think people should seek it out.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, for films, I mean, like for me, it was like, um, like since it was a film in the 1985, um, it was like, would it be like, would it look outdated for me? And it happens to a lot of films, like we see at a very early age where we're we're just blown away how it looks, and then when we get older, you just you just see everything, like you just see behind the scenes of it in a sense, of like. You kind of see the strings of it, really. Like, as a kid, you don't, but then when you're much older and you have more, like, knowledge of, like, how the show was made or how the movie was made and, like, behind the scenes pictures or videos, and you kind of see the strings now. And sometimes it's, um, you're like, you know what, regardless if I see the strings, it's still pretty damn cool. Yeah. For me, as a first timer who's seen the movie, I was actually impressed by how it looked, because. It's not because of like, oh, this was a film in the 80s. No, for a film that had that, for a film to be based on a show that's always black and white and to be exaggerated like more, especially with the scene of the rabbit, um, it just makes it stand out really. And it has this unique look to Mm -hmm. it, so it's honestly really good. But also, um, like, even though the color, the movie is in color, and it's going to be weird for me to say this every story to me was like a black and white film so honestly it was like a very homage to it and uh, like again as a first timer, I enjoyed the hell out of this movie and I wasn't aware that it, like some of the segments were based on episodes I gotta, cap- I gotta catch up to Twilight Zone well, um, there's like 156
1: so episodes. It'll take a while. Yeah,
0: it's, <laughs> yeah. It's there's
2: a still, lot. still episodes yeah, that of... I'll
1: see in a marathon. I'm like, oh, what? I, how did I not see that one? <laughs> so I've just never gone through it yeah. systematically went through and made sure I've seen every single one. There are a handful that I still haven't seen um, throughout the years. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, you can't get yourself get on yourself for not seeing all of them. Oh, there's so many, God. and we're, I'm I'm yeah. just so honored that we inspired you to 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 you know take the deep dive into the series i think that is that oh, was yeah. so cool to like i feel like we get live tweets from you when you watch the episodes originally you're like <laughs> i just saw this one and this is what i thought it was fun
0: yeah the episode that i remember i i tweeted to i think both of you was the episode the which was the old man who he broke his glasses like i was like oh, okay i'm waiting for this episode and for me i was like oh my gosh i hate his wife She's so oh she's so fucking evil but no yeah um i'm happy that the both of you actually inspired me to watch the show and i think both of you mentioned a series i think it was adam or i'm not sure who it was that you mentioned another series that both of you watched i'm like oh well i guess that's gonna be another one but uh, like an hour before we started doing the podcast i checked uh, how many episodes do i got and then i checked like i didn't even see what episode i was on i just saw on Netflix, oh, how many seasons... I mean, how how many episodes are in each season? I'm just like, oh, shit, I got a lot to watch. Well, it's exciting. Yeah. You've your there's, whole life ahead of you to see all
2: of- oh. Yeah, there's not enough time to watch all of the content <laughs> available out there, especially, you know, not there's not enough time to watch the current shows that are being produced, yet alone go back in time and catch up on all of them. Uh, it's one of my biggest <laughs> challenges is finding the time yeah. you know, to watch movies and shows that are great. One thing I, I wanted to bring up that I don't know if you guys know, and it, might, it, may, it must have been chosen for a reason, but the song, of course, the, the CCR song, the Creedence song that plays in the beginning at the end of the film, Midnight Special, um, the, the meaning of that song or what that song is about, for those who don't know, it's, it's, it's about a real train called the Midnight Special locomotive train that used to pass by the, Lu, the Lu, Louisiana State Prison every night at midnight. And the light from that train would shine into the prison cells at midnight, and if it if it illuminated you, the prisoners believed that it would you would gain your freedom one day. Hmm. So it, it, it always made me think like is that song you know supposed to represent something? Wow. Are we all trapped in this prison of of the you know of the twilight zone? And you know <laughs> it just to me there always uh, there there was something. Uh, interesting about that choice of all the songs they could have chose, you know that was the one, and and they play it twice. So I always felt that that you're you're uh, on a roll of theories today, be. aren't you? Yeah, a, I, I love
1: that. I love that story. <laughs> what?
2: Well, yeah, the theory. Well, when theory I when I see happens. a film, a lot of times I try as I watch them every time to sort of take something new away from it, whether mm-hmm. it's something that I personally see or interpret from it, like what I've been discussing, or whether it's just you know, noticing something unique about a shot, or about the lighting, or about a performance that I never noticed before. So, it's something that I try to do. I think you learn more from movies as you watch them multiple times, obviously. And uh, that's something that I think more people who enjoy and want to make movies should do. Is yeah. is watch the same film over and over again, uh, especially if they love it, and really sort of get a grasp on what. The film is trying to say mm-hmm. and um, you know and, and form your own 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 opinion based upon that yeah. Yeah. based upon those those multiple viewings. I think there are films that change with multiple viewings sometimes they just get better and better sometimes oh, you that yeah. that feeling stays the same, and other times I find that the that that they don't hold up like this is a movie that sort of holds up for me, but not a hundred percent you know mm-hmm. and i i don't know if it if um if it's just me or if it's the film but as Becky said as you you know as you get older you see things a little differently yeah. and um, you know when I first saw this though on television I don't know 30 years ago I thought it was the coolest thing ever just like I did the original series cool. so um, I don't know we all we all grow no, and we yeah. all you know, um, evolve over yeah. time
0: for me um, and it's funny you mention it because like I've mentioned I the reason why I became a filmmaker was because at an early age I saw the original Godzilla movie. And as a kid, like, um, it's actually it's like something new for you to know, but like, that was the first live action movie I ever saw in my life because before that I just used to watch a lot of like animated films. And for me, I thought it, it kind of sucks, but like, I thought it was real. Like, I thought Godzilla was a real thing. And even though I was kind of disappointed that my mom told me he wasn't, um, I had to like really get my like I had to wait till like get I um get older to see it and now that I'm much more older than how I was I kind of see like how it was made but also like see the um message it had because originally I I'll be honest I didn't give a shit about like the human segments I just cared about like blo- like the monsters just blowing shit up but as a much more older person I can see like this is a message about war about like nuclear war and like the damage it could do because that the creature was actually supposed to represent. Uh, he's supposed to be a symbol of nuclear war, especially for the bombs that happened in Japan back in World War Two. So, yeah, you when you get older, like you see more things in a film, but also like have the message for it, especially if it's a film that you remember being it being ridiculous or like it looking so cartoonish, childish, but it has such a deep meaning to it. Like one film I could think of was um, Chicken Run, made by. Ardman Studios and you're thinking well this is a film about like just chickens But in this when you get older you kind of see it now. It's just like this is pain like this is kind of symbolizing like um, Concentration camps and if you look back to like pictures of it of the set or like the whole films theme in general You're just like wow this is actually based on concentration camps. So it's just like you get older and you see things to a much different point of view really, but also you see it as like your past self, but like more aware. So it's really good, honestly, really, to have that type of thinking to see a film now. Um, there's two questions I want to ask you about the film. So the first one is if this film were to ever be remade now, right? And we all know it's going to be probably CGI, everything, every segment, whatever, even though I can only imagine the opening. But like if this movie were to be remade, right, but still have the narration, the the tone of if you will, of Twilight Zone, do you think it will have a much bigger impact to audience members today than how it was now to people who grew up with the show but also saw it at like during the eighties, nineties, seventies? Do you think it would have a an impact now, especially with this generation of filmmakers who are much more more digital but also like more enhanced with films, like films like Boom Light, Arrival, and um, all these films, especially from like now, really, like, do you think it will capture or have a huge impact to the generation of filmmakers or audience members today?
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, so just so you know, I have to go pretty soon. My uh, uh, my husband and my daughter are coming home soon, but I do want to answer your question. Uh, I think it still would be st- super, still super impactful. I mean, they're going to remake uh, the Twilight Zone series on CBS All Access. Um, so the show is still really relevant. I think there. I think right now we're in an age that feels like we're in the Twilight Zone for so many reasons. But I just think that um, there's always room to put in a film or a TV series. Like this, where you can put in all you know social commentary and um, and just horrors, just and science fiction are are really uh, uh, current now and contemporary. So I I think definitely I think that it could be even maybe even more successful than it was in '83 when this movie came out. All
2: right, Adam. yeah, yeah. I um I think in many ways it has been remade. There have been numerous anthology movies, um, mostly horror, but there have been a number of them where. They give multiple directors a chance to tell a short story, a short tale, um, which all have sort of drawn inspiration from The Twilight Zone, which is really the sort of grandfather of this type of storytelling in many respects. So, yeah, and I mean there was, there was an 80s Twilight Zone series that came after this movie. There was so, and which I've actually uh, haven't seen one day, maybe I'll catch up on that. But um, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, I think my main hope is if they do another feature film, my hope is that they will hire four great, uh, talented directors with original, unique voices to tell four of their own Twilight Zone stories. Things yeah, that, like that their own unique stories, and that's hopefully what the new CBS story will be. Series will be. It will be new episodes, um, original scripts from current science fiction writers. I mean the great thing about the original series was that it was they were pulling from some of the greatest science fiction minds of that era, mm-hmm. Richard Matheson and so on. He actually I think wrote
1: he 16 episodes. Um, three of
2: them. <laughs> yeah, and and of those two or three of them were ones in mm-hmm. this film, you know. <laughs> so it's um it, you know they there are people writing today. There are science fiction writers today that Um, they could pull from and have them write episodes. So I just think that that was the main, for me, mistake that they made with this film is thinking they had to reimagine classic episodes, whereas I personally would have loved to have seen new ones for unique original stories. And Black Mirror's
1: out now. I mean, that's very Twilight Zone,
2: um, inspired by. I love that show. um,
1: And I I I have the first season of the 80s um, shows on TVG, um w- mostly because yeah. one of my favorite episodes ever is this one where this little girl takes her parents to the zoo, and then what you find out is all the, pe- the all the zoo- everybody at the zoo is parents of past kids. So uh, she's really taking her parents to the zoo, and then they're going to be um, pe- uh, like animals to be looked at, and then she finds new parents. It's really I remember bananas. being like so traumatized by yeah. that when I was a kid, but um, I own it just because it's a great episode. It was so original.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can um, I can see Del Toro making like a movie of the Twilight Zone based on like his creation with like Shape of Water and the imagination he has. I can I can see that. The second question I wanted to ask is um, like I'll I'll keep it short, but like if you had to add in a story from the Twilight Zone series to the movie, right? Like if you wanted to add in the, uh, the segment of the man who broke his glasses, like what story to the movie? What story would you add in?
1: monsters do on maple street would be a great one
2: yeah yeah, yeah. and so would that the yeah. shelter
1: those are so similar those would be i think those are yeah. sort of timeless and i feel like they could happen now yeah those
2: <laughs> yeah and they were both sort of products of the time you know with our sort of with the red scare and the nuclear the fear of nuclear holocaust but i, I think we're living in a time as you said becky that we're just as afraid, but just of different things now. So yeah, it, it, yeah, those are great. I, I also there's a there's one episode that I always I really loved as a kid called Midnight Sun, which I think could could be an interesting. It's a great twist ending about a character um, who is basically the world it, we're living in a world where it's it's um, it's unbelievably hot, where the the Earth is moving towards the sun slowly. So there's no water, and people have you know deserted the cities and everyone's just sweating and and it's just horrible um and you know that eventually the earth is going to get too close and everyone's going to die um but then the main character wakes up she's had a she's had, she's a horrible fever this is like a fever dream but really the earth is moving away from the sun and it's freezing outside and eventually it's going to get so far away from the sun that you know everyone's going to die um the earth the temperatures will drop and it's just something that it haunted me yeah. as a kid, and I still just find it to be a really, a really powerful episode. And with you know, if done well, if done correctly, I think it could translate, you know, into a bigger yeah. film. Um, and I think a lot of filmmakers are doing. I mean, er, the early films. I said this on our on our Twilight Zone episode on Wrong Real, but the early films of M Night Shyamalan were very much big budget Twilight Zone, you know, um, episodes from The Sixth Sense, even Unbreakable and and um, and Signs. They all very much were about the, the sort of the twist ending and had, having that kind of sci-fi or supernatural element to them mm-hmm. so i think that um, a lot of people have made careers out of the you know what they learned from watching twilight zone yeah in their in their youth you can see the answer you can do it um, yeah.
0: So yeah, I, um, that pretty much wraps up yeah. I mean, the idea. Thanks for out.
1: having us on, hap- Ian. this was fun. Yeah, I'm so,
0: yeah. <laughs> I'm so happy to have both of you on the show. Uh, is there, uh, for audience members, is there a way that they can contact you, like through social media? that you would like
1: to share? Or sure, I mean, like you to... can, I'm always on Twitter, so you can uh, you can find me on Twitter at Hollywood Minotaur. That's HWood Minotaur. And uh, yeah, feel free to tweet me whenever, and I love talking about Twilight Zone and and meeting people like Ian, so it's great. And yeah. then I also work at yeah, Sony that's... Pictures, so um, I'm, if you, um, actually, we don't have a, a release that's coming out very, very soon, but I think our the release, the, the, the release that's coming out the soonest is superfly which comes out june 15th and then we have sicario uh 2 which comes out july i mean june 29th so i just wanted to promote those films
2: yeah i i just watched a, a sony picture um i think it was direct to vod called proud oh, mary yeah. it is oh, yeah. yeah it was pretty good it was fun yeah genre and entertaining yeah it was, cool. yeah. It was a good yeah. midnight movie you i watched it Jumanji late one night you know
1: Oh my I God. did, finally. I yes. to talk about that. I okay. got to see it. I
0: gotta, I gotta, really I funny, that, yeah. I, I think that's a yeah. I saw Pacific Room recently and um, Wes Anderson's latest film, Isle of Dogs. Oh, yeah.
1: We talked a little bit about that on Twitter. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And Adam, what about... I oh, to, yeah, you didn't yes. tell us how to find yeah. you because everybody wants to find you.
2: Uh, oh, yes. I'm <laughs> I'm on Twitter as well, at Adam Rakoff. Um, and that's my only real social media presence. I never... I never um, signed up for Facebook or Instagram which now with what's happening I'm sort of glad I did. You're, so, you're going to be the only one um,
1: the only survivor yeah. survivor now.
2: Right. It's going to be apocalypse. basically the new
0: my, it's going to be the new Myspace basically.
2: Yeah, I I, I my parano- paranoia was right, <laughs> you
0: know. <laughs> I I mean I, I don't really use Facebook that much. I don't even really like it that much. I just like posts like random things because people are like oh facebook is the top daddy of all social media now i'm just like that that's it like it's kind of like a pulp fiction moment for me where i'm just like so confused and like what was all that well hype.
2: and what a lot of, a lot of people don't even realize is that it, even if they're not on facebook but if they're on instagram it's the same thing yeah. these are both owned by this by facebook so the same data is being mined from your photographs and they're using that you know to sell and make money yeah. Uh, off of you so I mean they can scan the, the the contents of every photograph that you post to Instagram can tell them so much about you your your shopping preferences where you go when you know all this kind of stuff we're living so. in the twilight zone right now yeah it, that's well Becky said it earlier you know, <laughs> it's, it's like we are we are living between you know the you know the issues going on in our, our government and everything else I think we are it, it just to me it, it says a lot about the fact that we were there were so many people for so many years terrified that the government was stealing all of our information and and keeping tabs on us, and maybe they are as well, Mm. but really it's private corporations right now that we have been volunteering all of this information and handing it over to them on a silver platter, uh, and they're making billions off of us, off of our our information, and that's something I've been saying for a long time, and, and most people, I guess, were just willing to... Make that yeah. sacrifice mm-hmm. <laughs> so they can yeah. keep in touch with their friends and family. Thanks for so, us making us feel stupid. That, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, hey, listen, you didn't know. they <laughs> are like, and I was worldly. right. Um, um, uh, no, yeah. no, no. Yeah. It's, uh, right. So, yeah, it's a little scary. We are living in the twilight
0: zone now.
2: Well, thanks, Ian. Not everybody, though. Yeah, not everybody gives away mu- as much about themselves as, you know, as, as Becky do. Deanna does. Yeah. Yeah, no, just kidding. No, no, no. <laughs> well,
0: I'm glad to have both of you on the show again. I'm happy that both of you were able to come to the show. Um, really, two great people I've met on social media. Um, but yeah, so that pretty much wraps up the Twilight Zone fan club today.
2: Oh, um, I like that. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah I, I tweeted to like I think I tweeted to Becky like, oh, Twilight Zone twin. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah is, is there
2: a word for Twilight Zone fans? You know, trekkers, trekkies.
0: I don't know. Like, well, I don't know. I'm sure there is. Z- zoners. Zone- zoners, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that will have two meanings now.
0: Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm happy to have both of you on the show. Um this has been an, another episode of Film Universe. Um and maybe the two of you can be on another episode in the future. Um I'm really happy to have both of you again on the show. Thanks. Uh, Thanks very much. Yeah, thank you. Um, so yeah, I'm your host Ian Vega and I'm, this has been an episode of Film Universe, thank you for listening. Adam Rakoff and Becky Diana have drifted away from the Film Universe. The question next is what or who will be next in line to enter the dimension of imagination, unspeakable, truths, and most importantly, timeless. It is a dimension that can be forgotten, that not even the oldest soul can forget it. A baby will never forget it, but will always remember it. It is a dimension that can never be described, and that is the film universe.